Welcome to Gay for Play, a podcast about all things queer in the world of video games, pop culture, and beyond. I am Eric Solis. And I'm Lawrence Turner Cordova. Oh hey. My gosh. Lawrence, how are you? I'm good. I'm very excited. I'm amongst two of my besties, one of which is you, famously. Two of your bestest besties in the whole world. Sorry Truly. to anyone else we called a bestie, but this is our um, true bestie. <laughs> true besties. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, we are not alone today. We are joined by our dear friend. You probably know him at least tangentially if you ever listen to the credits of this episode. Has anyone should. ever made it to the credits of the episode Have you before? listened Email all the way us. through? Let us know. <laughs> But you've heard his name. He is our lovely show artist, and like I said, a dear friend of ours, and a gamer. And with very a y. sexy. Yeah. <laughs> it's Bo Burnham. No, oh my gosh. <laughs> what a pull. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. You're going to be so mad at me. Um, it's Nick Adams. Hello. Hi. Hi. So, first question I have for you is why are you gay? <laughs> um, it was really a tough decision. Um, when I was in college, I just thought that it would be a really good social choice for me mm-hmm. in the theater department to be a gay. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so how's that I, working out for you? Um, not well, ultimately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, but, you dated Lawrence. Well, that was one of the big reasons why. <laughs> I was like, you know, I was weighing my options and um, Lawrence was a better choice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and he had a lot of clout at that time at, at yeah. your institution. And, you, and you're yeah. like, you know what would probably be good for me and me and my career? Yeah, th- he got me a lot of pull in the theater department. Mm-hmm. I'm glad. Well, ultimately, you did much better in that department than I did. Um, I, mean, yeah, I mean, you are still there, Nick. Oh, yeah, the truly, you are getting your master's, master's yes. of fine arts, even. In even, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, Eric, uh, um, I guess, spilled the beans. I am on a podcast today with uh, two of my ex-boyfriends, which um, is always a fun time. Mm-hmm. Um, but impressive that you're friends with your exes. Not everyone can say that. Yeah, truly not everyone can say that. Not, nor, I mean, this is not a um, situation I recommend to everyone. Like, not everyone has good ex-boyfriends. Luckily, I chose two good people who um, dated me and then broke up with me who have been good, <laughs> good friends. <laughs> Oh no! I mean, what we have a we have a podcast w- with art direction by one ex and producing by another. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a uh, you're 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 doing good. Yeah, but you know, I like I said, I consider y'all my besties before anything else. That's mm-hmm. ancient history. Um, but yeah, how are y'all doing? Serve How's... it ancient city style. <laughs> That's gossip. That's gossip, honey. Um, how y'all doing? How have your weeks been? Feeling good about art and the world? I'm feeling better about art <laughs> than I did last time. Uh, quick update. Madcap Motel. Come check it out inside the oh, Madcap yeah. Motel. We're, we're still going. We're still going. Yeah, congrats. The Delta variant didn't shut y'all the fuck down. No, 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 so no. So no. congrats on the that. Wormhole, the wormhole is, in fact, still open, I am so lucky to say. Uh, we can only sustain it for as long as, uh, as, long as um, you know, time and space will allow. But while it is still there, I really recommend that you come and... Tell your friends about it, um, because I like acting for money. <laughs> Nick, have you been up to anything fun this summer? <laughs> um, shaking his yeah. head and <laughs> I have. <laughs> um, what have I done this summer? I'm trying to write. Yes, you are you uh, you do a comic on Instagram that I've been following very closely. Yeah, it's sort of over. I mean, like 
that's sort of a secret that it's over. <laughs> it's kind of done. It's kind of so yesterday, no Hillary Dove. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I mean, like, I was... So, initially, this was going to be, like, uh, a choose-your-own-adventure that, like, went on and on and on. But, like, this was sort of, like, a challenge to myself. And I am, like, sort of done <laughs> challenging mm-hmm. myself with it. I, I think that I, like, learned a lot. But I, I, like, sort of finished the first sequence of the story. And I looking back on it now i like learned a lot but i think that like this particular comic has like run its course um but i do write other things i'm writing a different comic right now that i haven't released yet and i work on other things that i'm writing right now yeah you're a multi-hyphenate well i was gonna say all i was gonna say and not to segue us into this next topic because we ain't even ready for that yet but like i really appreciated your comic your comic uh deadland comic for um it's like video game-ish sensibilities. It felt very adventure It felt um, kind of like Zelda-inspired. Mm-hmm. No spoiler alert, what we're talking about today. Uh, it had like some Dark Souls vibes. A little choose-your-own-adventure, no mm-hmm. homestuck. Also, like in this very last chapter, I don't know if this was conscious or a conscious choice or not, but it was giving me kind of like Hollow Knight vibes, which I know you've been recently playing. Was that intentional? No, I don't know exactly what you mean, but uh, I do love Hollow Knight. That is what I'm playing right now. Um, and yeah, the like video game inspiration is very much like that is supposed to be present in it, mm-hmm. um, kind of in the like text and and everything. And the I, format too, if I could choose your own adventure moment. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely Zelda inspired. Like a lot of the things that I do are kind of Zelda inspired because it's like, it's just, I think, such like classic fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um but you love Zelda. What, we should talk about that sometime. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe next. Maybe time. in the future. <laughs> what? In what ways were you getting Hollow Knight? Uh, I don't know. Something about like the style of the text. It was it, and like the color choices too. Kind of that bluish black. I don't know. I kind of got like the vibes. Oh, of, like, I see. I can see what you mean because it reminded yeah. me a little bit of like the the blue butterfly um, stuff, the healing yeah, yeah, yeah. element the um, that's in Hollow stuff. Knight, the cocoons and mm-hmm. yeah. I'll talk more about that game later, too, because um, I did play a lot of it this week. Um, But yeah, this week we are indeed uh, taking another trip down to Hyrule. We're talking... So this is going to be the second Zelda game we've covered. The last game we covered was Skyward Sword with our friend Hannah Berg. Mm -hmm. Originally, we were planning to do, like, the Zelda games in the timeline, like, chronologically. Mm -hmm. But we said, uh, no, fuck it. You know, let's just do what the fuck we want. Let's talk (laughs) about it. And I think, interesting, we're going now in, like, reverse release release order sort of i guess mm-hmm. because this was the like last 3d zelda game before, before skyward, skyward sword. sword but before we get into that i did want to talk a little bit about some news that we touched on last week uh mm-hmm. kind of as it was breaking so we recorded our celeste episode the episode before this about a week before we released it for you listener i guess last friday or whenever you're listening to this in relation to that amount of time uh, but we recorded kind of as that news was breaking and so there's been a lot of developments in the, the sexual harassment and sexual um assault and misconduct lawsuits that right, right. Uh, and we mentioned there was going to be a a, stu- um, a studio walkout um happening mm-hmm. soon but that has happened now it um, has happened um so yeah um kind of just to talk about what happened if you um haven't heard a huge lawsuit has come out uh, talking about like years of um kind of a toxic work culture at activision blizzard the studio behind uh, call of duty overwatch diablo etc so many huge games one of the biggest video game companies mm-hmm out there and you know there's been this uh large discussion around sexual harassment and sexual assault in the workplace since then like we said there's been a walkout uh the president of the company uh, jay allen brack has stepped down and there's just been a continuing conversation about kind of how to handle this as consumers i think a lot of people are talking about 
do we boycott Activision Blizzard games? Uh, is that helpful? Is that what the developers want when there's still, you know, lots of, you know, g- good eggs at the at this company making right, games? Right, right. So. Because it's um, it's 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 a lot of internal work that needs to be done right now. I know there's lots. There's a couple, even a couple of um news outlets that are refusing to cover Activision Blizzard games until things are settled, whatever mm-hmm. that that would mean. Um, I know a lot but, of people are like canceling their World of Warcraft subscriptions. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. Know. A lot of people are leaving Warcraft to go to Final Fantasy fourteen right now, um, which is mm-hmm. which is crazy. I mean, there that game was already building up, and now there's yeah. even more of a, an outpouring over to out out of one franchise and into another because of all of the controversy surrounding this company right now. Which tangent, Nick? Your boyfriend is a huge Final Fantasy fourteen head. Um, <gasps> for the record, he's. I'd love to have him on to talk about it because I want to get into it. I've never played an MMO, <laughs> but I think this might be the one i start with this mm-hmm. one i'm very obsessed with with this uh, the look of this mmo and he's been talking about how like one of these world of maybe world of warcraft streamers but like a big streamer just moved over to final fantasy 14 mm-hmm. and like a bunch of people who watched his streams then also moved and so it's like it's growing yeah just mm-hmm. like it's growing so much and so the community is growing and also like changing so much and it's just so interesting to see, to hear him talk about it because mm-hmm. I don't play MMOs at all. And it's just, it's also so funny to watch him play because I watched and played a lot of the Final Fantasy games when I was growing up and it feels kind of different because it's like, it can feel kind of like silly in a way because it's... Mm-hmm. <laughs> The, like, a series ele- famously known for being just so serious. <laughs> well, it, it can feel really serious because they like take their stories very seriously, mm-hmm. but then like they have these like it's high mount- camp. Mm-hmm. It's high, yeah, it's high camp. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they like have these mounts and stuff. Like you can ride around in like a snowman, and so it like and like on a unicorn, and that's like that that feels very out of place in the like Final Fantasy worlds that mm-hmm. I remember watching when I was growing up. But like it's it seems like a game that like a lot of people are really loving and he right. is obsessed with it. Yeah. Yes. But to take to it back it more in the future, but to take it back to the Activision blizzard of it all there, there is a mass exodus of men, not just, not just Warcraft, but people are like signing out of, um, uh, their overwatch, um, games. Um, and you know, it's, it's, I'm, we've, I think we've, I've seen posts about this conversation about this, about whether that's really the best thing as a community to be doing, because that doesn't really affect, anything happening internally it just is us not playing these games that people still put a lot of work and love and effort into mm-hmm. like that and i think all of that work still stands despite all of these things coming to light that maybe might put a more of a negative tinge on how we feel about these games and the communities that surround them yeah it's complicated i think it is a very like personal choice i think if you uh think that boycotting is the best course of action and that you know you don't want to give your dollar to a company that has um hurt so many people that's valid and i think there's also space to be like well i want to continue supporting it for the you know for the people who put their lives into this and wants to and are trying to create a positive uh environment in the game development space i think there's room for nuance but i also wanted to talk about this because um on the heels of this um there's been news that broke yesterday as of breaking news about Fulbright Studios, the studio behind Gone Home, a game which we talked about on this pod long ago, one of our first games we talked mm-hmm. about, uh, also developers of Tacoma, and have their latest game in development, Open Roads. Um, there was a huge story released on Polygon yesterday talking about uh, that company's toxic work culture and how they're um, 
their studio head, um, Steve Gaynor, has uh, stepped down from his position as a lead on the game mm-hmm. and is now working just as a writer on the game. And apparently this was back in March that this happened, too. It's just only sort of, he, he sort of, he left in a larger capacity, but he's coming back in smaller ways now, I think, to still work on writing, but just is not really a creative lead anymore on the project. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, um, this was a, it was a really small company that was only four people that made Gone Home, and yet they, they scaled up um, for Tacoma and then scaled up again for this game, Open Roads, that is still um, coming out. Um, yes. And, and yet they lost a They've lost a ton of people just over the last year because of complaints stemming from what's happening internally. Yeah, so that's kind of like what's been pointing to the development of the story is that there's been a huge attrition problem. A lot of employees have been leaving this company, most of them women. Um, right now, I think only like six staffers remain at the company on this game, and the game has been delayed. But yeah, I think uh, the big picture of the story here is that like there's no, um, there's no like huge claims about um, sexual harassment or, like, explicit sexism. Um, It's been more of a story about, like, toxic culture of, like, microaggressions and, like, passive aggressiveness um, all behind this, like, veneer of inclusivity. Mm -hmm. Um, Because all of their games are very, um, very queer forward. I mean, Gone Home is a central queer narrative. And women-centric, too. Yeah, and so like Open Roads, this upcoming game is about like a mother and her daughter. Um, So like the studio kind of has like a reputation for being like you know these like women centric games and being this Mm -hmm. very like open space for women. But at its head, uh, this guy has been like just demeaning female employees and like creating horrible work conditions for them. And I think it's kind of just indicative of the fact that like sexism doesn't have to be like egregious and terrible for Mm -hmm. it to still be. (laughs) <laughs> egregious and terrible. Yeah. You know and it's I mean? also not just happening at places like Activision Blizzard that mm-hmm. have thousands, hundreds of employees. It's happening on, on the small scale in the gaming industry too, which just goes to show at its root how much of gaming culture is rooted in a lot of sexism and misogyny. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's it's gonna be a lot of work to change it, but yeah. And and hearing and hearing so many more of these stories, I think I said last week the thing that made me the most sad about the Activision Blizzard thing was just knowing that this is not the this is not an isolated case here, even though the details are gruesome and bad. It's happening everywhere, and even even in these small companies that we, you know, not really that we expect, tout as being that like, we tout um, as being like beacons of like how yeah. how to do it right. You're like oh no, there is still so much that is twisted at at their root. Yeah, um, that and, needs to be worked on. And one last thing I want to say about this, too, is that, like, employees are pretty suspicious because, like, uh, suspicious of the situation because um, this guy, uh, Steve Gaynor, has stepped down as the lead but is still staying on as a writer. And -hmm. a lot of people are being like, well, this gives us pause still working on this game because, like, you are still writing on this game that is women-centric when you have not been treating your female employees kindly and, like, have created situation so it's it seems like a mess and it seems ongoing but i don't know i hope the best for you know the women still working at that studio and um the future i hope that like that pieces of journalism like this and conversations can uh help enact change and i I think that is that is the most we can do as a you know, low to mid tier mm-hmm. podcast out on the airwaves is just talk about it, have conversations yeah. about it. Um, well, you know, I think our, our our podcast is very much about uh, gender and sexuality and how that space interacts with video games and the stuff we consume. So I think it's important for us to yeah. talk about this. Yeah. Um, but now let's let's talk about a game from a company that has no problems with sexism or misogyny or racism what? or anything. Uh, Perfect video game of. company. <laughs> <a> big <laughs> to me, um, but yeah, like we said earlier, we're talking about the Legend of Zelda: Twilight Princess. 
do do Zelda noises. Nick, give us a, a wolf howl on three. Go. I shan't be doing that. <laughs> She's a she wolf. Hear her howling. Let Ow. him out so he can save Hyrule. Ow. Ow. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh man. We're doing another Zelda. We're doing another. So yeah, like we said earlier, we talked about Skyward Sword before. Now we're going back in the release order and talking about Twilight Princess. Um, which I will say up front is my very favorite Zelda game to this day. Nothing Nick. is beating it. I love all of them, but this is the one that I come back to and say, you know what? I don't think they ever did it better. And there's a lot of nostalgia in that. I'll talk about it, but that's how I feel. Nick, how do you feel about that statement? I think I kind of have to agree. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much about the story and the world that I think I just really love. And I I think that other Zelda games have gone up there for me. Like, I think Breath of the Wild I really liked for a lot of the same reasons. But I think there's something about the world that they built in Twilight Princess mm -hmm. that they haven't really done something like that again. And I really appreciated a lot of the the specifics of that world a lot and, and the storyline a lot mm -hmm. that I just haven't seen in a Zelda game again. Right. And, I, and we talked a lot in our Skyward Sword episode about how there were a lot of elements in that game that led into the development of um, Breath of the Wild, a lot of mechanics in the gameplay. But I think a lot of um, the world building in Twilight Princess is a lot of what ended up in Breath of the Wild. This is True. the first time I think they really... Um, they were sort of inching into open world video game, but not quite going all the way in with Twilight Princess. Um, but it has like some of the largest open worlds, not, you know, Breath of the Wild excluded open worlds of any of any of the Zelda games. I, I forget where I read this and this may be totally false, but I think I remember reading that before um, that before Breath of the Wild, Twilight Princess was the largest game map by size of any of the Zelda games. Mm -hmm. uh, like it had the largest amount of space. Right, because it, this um, game has a it has a couple of interconnected open world maps rather than one big giant one. I think Ocarina, the mm -hmm. first 3D Zelda, um, you know, introduced the concept of a Hyrule field that would um, sort of connect you to other parts of the map. But that was, you know, a big field in one map. This game has, I think, like three or four separate open world sections that are all interconnected that all lead yeah, you to... Yeah, you've got the, like, provinces, no Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this a, a fictional country um, that does not exist, as we established. True, as th that's canon on this podcast. Um, sorry, Canadians. Um, but yeah, I wanted to zoom out a little bit and talk about what this game is, um, kind of big picture. Um, so yeah, this game was released in November of 2006 for the Nintendo GameCube and the Nintendo Wii. So this game is turning 15 year old, 15 years <gasps> old this year. Wild. Wow. Um, so this game was a launch title for the Wii and was the last first party Nintendo release for the Nintendo GameCube. Um, mm. Which, interesting, interestingly, we saw the same thing happen with Breath of the Wild. It was a um, launch title for Nintendo Switch and also the last first party game for the Wii U. Also, was, is, it, is it true that Twilight Princess came out on Wii before GameCube? Like, they were I, developed simultaneously, but, like, the Wii version of the game was ready for release before GameCube, so that one came out first. That I might be totally wrong about that. I don't know. I know it was in development for GameCube originally, and then it was pushed to be released in tandem with the Wii. I'm not sure, mm -hmm. like, if the release dates um, 
got mm-hmm. uh, fucked. Yeah. But yeah, but but like but like Breath of the Wild, you know, N- Nintendo was looking at this game while it was being made for GameCube and going, you know what? It actually would maybe fit good on our really on our next console, the Wii. We hope, you know, back then we didn't know the Wii was going to be the you know huge hit of a console that it was, but it was. It I was feel like, like Nintendo knew it was going to sell like mm-hmm. hotcakes. I mean, like the early days of the Wii were insane. It, mm-hmm. You know that was the yeah. moment the console but, to uh, get. But you know, this was a uh, you know th- this was my very first Zelda game. I will say. Oh really? Um, I th- I th- and I think a lot of why it's my favorite is rooted in that. But this was you know I the Wii was the f- the Wii Nintendo Wii was the first console as a kid where I was like waiting for the release of it. Mm-hmm. You know, like wait counting down the days, watching commercials, like you know seeing E three stuff about like oh this console is gonna come out. It's gonna change video games forever, and this Zelda game is gonna be the you know the thing that proves it all. So, question, you played this on the Wii. Nick, did you play this on Wii originally or on GameCube? I played this on GameCube originally. My friend Colin in high school, he played it on Wii, and it looked sort of like, I don't know, it did sort of seem like they had, after the fact, tried to, like, fit some of the controls onto, like, like the swing of the sword onto the Wii Right, because there's combat, but it's it's, it's, um, very rudimentary in comparison to Skyward Sword, which is very much about stabs and swipes in different directions. This game is just like, I don't know, shake your your wrist and something will happen. Yeah, you had the motion control where you just shake your Wii remote in place in in place of pressing A to swing the sword, mm-hmm. um, which I kind of liked. Like even though it was reckless and didn't really matter, it was like a tactile thing that I really like enjoyed mm-hmm. doing. Um, yeah, and again, it being my very first Zelda game and one of the first games I played on the Wii, I was like, oh wow, this, this is, is the next level. This is the yeah. next level. Video games will never look or get better than this. Yeah, and, and you know what? In a way, I was right stylistically i mean it's interesting uh i was about to talk about this game in comparison to the previous game before this wind waker um and i think the conversation with wind waker is often like oh that's a game that has held up over time because the graphical style hasn't aged at all compared to twilight princess and other zelda games and i think that's true but i think like you know graphical quality aside um and like you know polygon count and all that stuff aside I think the look of Twilight Princess still really fucking holds up and is still yeah, a yeah. gorgeous world that they created within this. Well, uh, uh, Lawrence, you you played the um, re-release, the HD version that came out for mm-hmm. the Wii U a couple years ago. What did you What did you think of that one, like graphically? Um, um, Honestly, I... I didn't think it looked that much different. It had like better textures, but I couldn't really tell. I mean, like it it was it did run like 1080p full HD, but like. It still looked like the same game. It didn't look like a ground up uh, remaster. Nick, you made a face. Did you have something to say about <laughs> about the well, look I of mean, the game? <laughs> when I played this game, I was like, uh, I was only comparing it to like the previous Zelda games, and I was mm-hmm. like, wow, incredible. Yeah. But then, like looking back at the videos now, I'm like, this is hard to look at, and mm. like it's a little Vaseline on the screen end <laughs> of the game. Well, it's just very like. I mean, the character does like some of the character designs are very good, but some of them are very like sort of even extreme looking. And then with the like, mm-hmm. with just how rough the graphics can be, they it's just a, right sort because of hard to because look up at. to up to this point, this was the most like realistic quote unquote human like well, um, design of characters in the game. Wind Waker was like we said, cel shaded, very cartoony, but this game was trying to emulate a lot of what was going on in Ocarina of Time in the N64, which was a more, like, realistic, you know, humanoid-shaped Hylians and all that. But 
And I think there's history to that if you look at, like, the history of the Zelda franchise. So when the GameCube was announced, I don't know if y'all remember this, but there was a, like, tech demo that showed um, a, like, super realistic link, uh, you know, super realistic, quote-unquote, for, Mm -hmm. you know, GameCube graphics at the time, um, fighting uh, Ganon. And it, it was like, oh, this is, like, Ocarina of Time, but, like, grittier and, like... Uh, more realistic like this is the like future of what zelda games are gonna be um and because then at the they, time well all we had was majora's mask and ocarina of time which were these like low polygon n64 games were like oh mm-hmm. next level once we take this tino i think you know lord of the rings had come out like a little bit before the gamecube and so we were just like high on fantasy shit and we're just waiting for uh you know the game that was gonna emulate all of that finally uh-huh nick well, I remember there being a tech demo now that you mention it, but I thought it was like of Link fighting like a like a big spider or something. That was later. That was for the Wii U. Um, oh, okay, mm-hmm. okay. Which okay. another case of like um, that of like, a tech demo never coming to uh, <laughs> existence. Um, and it was like very, mm-hmm. very impressive. Yes, um, but yeah. So this original tech demo for the GameCube, it like showed Link and Ganon fighting, and it looked really gritty and realistic. And then they released Wind Waker, and as we've talked about before... It's not gritty or realistic. Yeah, very cartoony, um, a style that's held up. Wind Waker is my personal favorite Zelda game, even though I do love Twilight Princess. Get off this. Get out of here. Leave. (laughs) Go away. Um, But yeah, so fans got, like, very upset, and they were like, where is this, like, realistic tech demo thing? And then, I don't know if y'all remember, but when this game, when Twilight Princess got announced at E3... You would have thought that like we that, like we just won World War Three, honey. <laughs> you would have thought that like <laughs> World War Three, it's happened and we've already it won. was happened and we won and we're celebrating that part. <laughs> but like, have you have you all seen like videos of the like? Uh, no, I don't. Twilight I don't Princess recall reveal? this this moment culturally. No, y'all have to watch it. It was like uh, it was like the final like one more thing that were rele- that were announcing at the e- Nintendo E three press conference, and like it happened, and like you could hear fans like realizing what was happening, and then Link appeared on screen, uh, and everyone like got out of their seats and erupted and cheered, and then like uh, it Look froze. At Zelda. Like the last shot was him doing the like uh, the like swipe swipe. Whoop, whoop, whoop. That he does, uh, where he puts his sword in the hill, and then Ding. like it like cut to that and like went to like a black and white silhouette, and then it showed um, it cut to like a real life silhouette on stage, and it was Miyamoto holding a master sword and the Hillian shield, Whoa. and like cheering with the crowd. I don't and, like, remember everyone this. Was screaming and pissing go. and crying. Yeah, y'all need to out. watch this. I'm gonna link it in the episode description because it was like it's my favorite E3 moment. So truly was just like hype of the hype of the century, um, and yeah. <laughs> And it was going to be out on two consoles. Mm -hmm. You didn't even have to buy the new one to play this one. Although we should say there are distinct differences between the GameCube and the Wii. Most notably, they are are flipped. (laughs) Yeah, it's... And to me, that that boggled my mind because I remember going to a friend's house to play Twilight Princess with him and he had it on GameCube and I hadn't played that version. But when I picked it up and started playing, I was like, wait, no, that's not... This isn't where... This isn't where the town is. No, you're supposed to go this... (laughs) What's going on? Uh, that that uh, blew my mind. I went, did you did you get a broken copy of this game? What happened, Nick? What were you gonna say? I was just gonna continue commenting on the fact that like this was such a big moment. This game, my brother was really like, as soon as it got announced, he was like really obsessed with it because he always a big Zelda fan and like his backdrop on like all of his devices, his mm-hmm. computer and stuff was like the artwork for it, which was like very like realistic and like moody. It was like these like paintings of like Link and stuff, and it's like. I feel like because it was just such a big tonal shift from the game before that people were like really, really excited for it. 
And I think yeah. that the reason it was such a big tonal shift was because people were let down. Uh, initially, I was reading about this, the Wind Waker, what they were going to be working on before they released Twilight Princess was a sequel to the Wind Waker, and that ultimately was scrapped for the Twilight Princess because they were afraid that people wouldn't be into it because they oh, were disappointed yeah. by Wind right, Waker. Because we got those um, those um, spirit tracks and Phantom Hourglass, which were kind of like pseudo sequels yeah. on the DS. But it, it was full sequels. Yeah. Initially, I think we would have gotten a Phantom Hourglass storyline as a sequel to the Wind Waker, as a, like the main console game. What could have been? But they been? they used essentially like the base of like the gameplay and turned it into like wrote a new story and turned it into a Twilight Princess or, yeah. or something along <laughs> along those lines. They they scrapped the whole thing and and wanted to do something more gritty and realistic. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about this game proper. We've talked a lot about the history of it. Um but I wanted well, to What goes ask, on in this game? Is he yeah, does he is what, he safe in Zelda? So yeah, it's about our, our little green man, Link. Um, Not so Link, little in this game. He's a he's like an older teenager. Yeah, he's in this an one. older teenager. He's a teen young ass game, man. Which can we talk about it? He's hot. <laughs> this is can the hottest talk about Link. It? This was yeah. So this was truly like I, I think part of why I wanted to talk about this because I think this is true for all three of us. Um, I don't know. I'm, I maybe I'm assuming, but like this iteration of Link was like sexually formative for me. <laughs> Sure. I wouldn't say sexually formative, but I definitely agree that this Link is the hottest. I think the internet kind of mm. went nuts for Breath of the Wild Link, but I think Twilight Princess Link is the is the suavest. He's the smoothest Link, I think. I think people went went crazy for Breath of the Wild Link because you could dress him up and dress him down. And you could just walk around <laughs> in your underwear if you wanted. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, definitely this Link was like... He was, like, the silent... Like, he's always the silent hero, but this one felt definitely, like, the broodiest of them all. And you know what? I was thinking about it, too, and I always dive off the deep end and immediately start talking about, like, gender and queer theory here, but, like... Get into it! But I think that this iteration of Link, especially, like, early on in the story and kind of throughout, kind of talks a lot about Link as a masculine figure. It's, like, Mm -hmm. the game starts and, like, Link is, like, helping around the town. He's, like... Um, doing like cattle ranching, like herding sheep, mm-hmm. and like it seems like he is like a um, masculine figure, and it has like right, a lot of he, like father figures in the game with the because he has and, and he like, has like a little posse of younger kids in the town that really look up to him, and yeah. like that's kind of one of the significant subplots of the game is like these little kids who like want to be just like Link when they grow up. Yeah, um, you know he is he's not starting at, at like the little kid place that he starts in Ocarina and in Wind Waker. Wind Waker, like he, yeah. He's already a, a, you know, a kid who's been through a lot. We don't, we don't, we don't get any details about parents, but it's kind of assumed that he's like, you know, this, this kid who lives like a little far out of the town who is like, um, you know, has, yeah, like you said, has a lot of father figures as a ranch hand. Does a lot of just normal small town stuff. Um, yeah. So I, th- yeah, I think it's interesting how like, um, like you said, Eric, a lot of the earlier Zelda games are about kind of like this loss of innocence and, mm-hmm. you know, this loss of childhood childhood innocence specifically, whereas I think in Twilight Princess, it's more about like a call to action. What sets Link on this mm-hmm. adventure is, A, you know, um, this like uh, Twilight realm that is invading <laughs> the entire mm-hmm. universe. Um, oh, yeah, also, oh, like, oh, yeah, there's, there's a Twilight people, there's, a, there's another dimension we'll get of into. Twilight beings who are going to eat the whole world, but... But also, like, about, like, him trying to protect his home and, like, mm-hmm. um, this girl, uh, what's her name? Ilya? Is that yeah. it? 
Yeah, Ilya who gets abducted by um, by Ganondorf's uh, moblins, and mm-hmm. um, it, it, it's and very it's, much it's, about this like sense of responsibility. I was just gonna say mm-hmm. it's 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 very it's very much about like the the responsibility that we are that is sort of thrust upon us as we age. And I think in Wind Waker, he, he you know the game starts. He's on Outset Island. It's this very small town. It's all he's ever known. But he doesn't really have the choice to go anywhere else besides this one island. Where whereas in this game, it starts and like Link is aware of the world outside of his town but yeah he, just, he does he does he doesn't have to it's like my my place is this town my responsibility are these people and you know even as the the outset of the journey the the main drive is oh it's still to protect my town to protect the people who are going to be harmed if i don't do something about this mm-hmm. um, which i which i love as um as like a the hero's journey inciting incident for this zelda game you know a yeah. lot of um it, it doesn't feel it feels very personal in this one for for link um yeah and very like pastoral too. I like mm-hmm. this game is very talking about the world of this game. It feels very muted, very calm and serene. And I think that like which I think plays into part of why people didn't love it as much is because it's, it does not pop in the way that Wind Waker does, and it doesn't start with as much like energy as things like Breath of the Wild yeah. do that kind of just thrust you out in the world and go, okay, figure it out. But I think it makes for a really compelling Hyrule and a very compelling world where it's like everything kind of is calm and serene, but there is this like evil and this kind of rot lurking in it. Uh, I don't know. Nick, do you have any thoughts on kind of the world building here? Yeah, I don't know. There's something that I really loved about, like, the vibe of his, his like, farm world, like, in, in contrast to, like, this invading evil that, like, is sort of creeping underneath. And, like, how how the world does seem very calm and kind of muted, but that there is this, like, this darkness there and I think that like Zelda does something interesting throughout all of the games, not necessarily all of them, but it's Zelda a thing the that's character? in a lot of, or... no, no, just the franchise, <laughs> right. but Zelda does as a franchise does something interesting in a lot of the games with the theme of like these different worlds of like traveling back and forth. And I think mm-hmm. that like something that excited me about this game is that it felt really similar. To, it felt sort of like a grown up version of like Link to the Past where he's got yeah. like, this world that feels sort of like innocent and then like a darker version of that world. And like, right. And that, and that pops up in a lot of Zelda games, the idea of like the other world where like the darkness is stored, but uh, you know, the game becomes about saving the light world from Mm -hmm. the dark world. And this one, it it goes, it, um, rather than a dark world, we have this twilight world. Um, Yeah. And the twilight world is really interesting and like a really, I think, uh, creative spin on this like parallel dimension trope that we see in Zelda mm -hmm. games, because it's not just presented as this, like, well, at first it seems like it's just like, oh, it's a world of darkness and ruin and uh, the but twilight is evil. But, but it's, it's actually... twilight, which is the in between the light and the dark. Twilight mm-hmm. is the, t- the period of day when, thing- when things are going from light to darkness, which sort of sets up this idea of like, you know, innocence lost again or some kind and, of growth. Yeah. And what, was, what I was going to say, too, is that like what we learn over time is that like this twilight realm isn't empty it is actually like this other civilization uh which we learn particularly through the best character i'll say it in the entire zelda franchise (laughs) your companion midna in this game who i love i thought you were gonna say zant oh (laughs) that bottom we'll talk about him later (laughs) (laughs) what that crazy twink getting his ass ate out on the boat yeah that's zant (laughs) you saw him (laughs) Uh, oh my god wait nick did you hear about um Demon I'm twink. 
Wait, what? <laughs> the demon twink. Did you hear about this? The demon no, twink. No, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, Ty Sunderland, who is um, this uh, DJ and uh, party host in New York, he tweeted... I really thought you were talking about White Lotus. No. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh but I know what you're talking about. R.E. ass eating <laughs> and White Lotus. Yeah. Um, but no, um, on the, he hosts these, like, um, these, like, boat parties that are, like, themed around, like, pop stars, and so recently he threw a Britney, uh, Britney Spears party, and on the Britney boat, he talked about this demon twink, uh, who apparently, like, spilled drinks all over the DJ set, and, like, threw drinks at people, and then got his ass fully ate on the, (laughs) on the boat. In, in the VIP section. (laughs) In the VIP section. Um, so... Yeah, you're right. It was Zant, Demon Twink. It was Zant. It was the Demon Twink. Demon Twink sounds like the, like, um, it sounds like a subtitle for, like, a Zelda boss. Zant, <laughs> Demon <know>? Twink. <laughs> oh, man. Which, anyway, we were saying, we'll talk Midnight. about him. He's Midnub. We'll talk about the villain. He's the villain. We're going to talk about the, 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 the there's the Your villain. companion. The baddie. The baddie. Yeah. Midnub. Which, um, like, if we're talking about companions, is just, like, such an upgrade to your annoying fairy from Ocarina of Time. Yeah, and, Better like, than a boat in, in, the boat, in Wind yeah. Waker, and better than a hey. ghost in your sword from Skyward Sword. No, Midna's the best. Midna is best girl. She is the best companion. She is the best, like, you know, Link doesn't speak in any of the Zelda games. That's kind of the iconic defining thing about him, and so a lot of the games end up, um... At least when it comes to the story and writing, you know, a lot relies on the character that follows you through the ex- extent of your journey. Midna is the fucking best character well, in the entire series. I think, too, whenever you have a silent protagonist, it's like whoever talks to that silent protagonist the most has to do a lot of story lifting. And, like, mm-hmm. Midna, Midna carries it. Like, I, like yeah. she has a playful relationship with Link. Um, she has an arc. Her, you, you, she starts as one kind of character and becomes something totally different by the yeah. end. She is not a static a presence in the game. Again, to talk about who she is for people who maybe haven't played the game. Um, so Link gets sucked into this realm of Twilight, which truly is just like this like wall of darkness and this like spectral hand like pulls, uh, like reaches in and grabs him and pulls him into this like... And, and it's it's taking the, the, existing, the existing light world but covering it in this veil of Twilight where all the mm-hmm. people are either ghosts or start turning into these like very weird Twilight black arm tendrily monsters. Yeah. yeah. And so instead of turning into a ghost or a monster, Link being the hero and the wielder of what? The Triforce of Courage, honey. <laughs> and... Noted furry, he turns into a wolf. Well, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is because he's the wielder of the uh, Triforce, he turns into this wolf monster, and then Midna Which finds is him. Such an upgrade from him turning into a bunny and in Link to the Past. T, that's T. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's courageous about that, honey? Running around, look, looking for a mirror so you can turn into, turn back into yourself. Uh, uh-uh, uh, mm-hmm. I don't think so, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so like you play as uh, Wolf Link and um, Midna finds Wolf Link and imprisons him, LOL. And then like, <laughs> uh, does she imprison him? No, I think it's a monster. No, I think he's imprisoned by the monster. She just finds him. Midna like kind of like finds him in jail and like teases him and eventually helps him escape. And then they partner up and go on their journey to mm-hmm. do all their hero shit. But together. she she is this very like snarky standoffish, you know, imp mm-hmm. personality in the game. Like she... Uh, she kind of sees her like partnership with Link more of a thing of obligation to help herself rather than a, Hey, you're cool. Let's go on this journey together. It's like, yeah. Hey, I need something. You can help me. We're not friends though. And then 
you know, of course, over the course of the game, you know, you, you, she, she and the player learn to love each other in, in, mm-hmm. uh, un, in, unlike any other companion relationship in the series. Well, there's this like big shift that happens with their character after like Zelda does this like big courageous thing, like not at the end of the game, but like pretty well, close to it, it feels like. Mm-hmm. And so then she like, is like, oh my God, I've like shifted. And then she's like, it, it, there's like a big shift that happens to their character and she's like she's like i i want to like help now and so she kind of like it's just cool to see like such character development mm-hmm. in like a companion character that feels like normally would be inserted just to like help move the story along but mm-hmm. she's like she really is a part of the story and like it feels like they put a lot of work into her character yeah. and her right. development because it's because of- um the twilight princess spoilers is not zelda the twilight princess is midna Right? Yeah. Yes. I'm correct. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I, I started that sentence. Then wait. Am I right? <laughs> like, am I right? Am I right? Am I right? Am I about to say no. Some well, because no, you're right. well, because you know this this <laughs> game, um, you know, having this thread of like you know responsibility and growing up. You know, Midna starts as this impish sort of you know carefree character who just kind of wants you know what's in her best interest. But through the course of the game, she you know learns to take on more responsibility and decide that it's worth. You know, it's worth saving Hyrule, saving not just to her save kingdom. herself, but to save her kingdom, with the Twilight Realm, which she is, like, you know, the princess of, but also the Hyrule world. You know, she she learns to take on all of this um, in, in responsibility that seems so innate to characters like Link. And so I think the way that she's able to learn off of him in the game is, um, you know, again, such such a such a unique way of, um, you know, factoring the, comp- the companion into these games mm-hmm. when I feel like... It could have been so easy to just make it another sort of fairy type character that just says, "Hey, Link, what's in that cave over yeah, there?" Yeah, go look over here. Jump mm-hmm. up here. Yeah, it's it's very cool how she she does fill that role as like a you know guide, but also like um, is fully characterized and I think is kind of at the core of this story, which you know she's the subtitle of the game, so she should be. Um, but yeah, I was gonna say there's um, minor spoiler alert, but like that point that you're alluding to, Nick. Um, Link gets, like, trapped as a wolf and, like, Midna loses her powers and, like, she's, like, dying and he has to, like, run through the rain mm. and take her to Hyrule Town to, like... It's the best moment in the whole her. game. It's, you're you're, yeah, you're carrying her beautiful. on your own wolf Link's back and there's this, like, beautiful piano score that's underscoring Midna's this lament. Uh, uh. Insert it here. <laughs> um, yeah. The also, music yeah. in that Period. game is, Period. like, really... When it came out, I, I listened to it a lot, like before the, the I ever played the game, because my brother was obsessed with video game scores, mm-hmm. and it's like really s- still one of my very favorite Zelda scores. Yeah, maybe the even more Woods theme, the like guitar uh, theme. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so, even, even the themes, on. even the themes that are just like covers or reorchestrations of like older Zelda titles, like just the versions in this game are so incredible. Yeah, they feel they like just hair down and like very mm-hmm. raw. I don't know, they but they also like, feel more epic. I mean, there were there was like uh, a lot of I think Skyward Sword was the first game to be fully orchestrated but there are still like tons of strings and um, mm-hmm. brass instruments that are used in the scoring of this game that um, um, even compared to Wind Waker like this is such a step up in, in the scoring of the Zelda games and they, they just feel very like rich and they feel very like of this world like they do a good yeah. job even just with the music of making it feel like a very unique world with like history mm-hmm. mm. yeah speaking of history too one thing that i really love about the tone of this game too is um and this kind of veers a little bit into like the timeline of it all which we don't have to dive deep into although if we are being technical this is in the child timeline after ocarina of time when <laughs> which is <laughs> you know the theory that what if link died in ocarina of time and no, he no, no 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 oh, no no not that one isn't that it? One. I thought this was he failed and they 
and Ganon. No. And Ganon was put into the. You, you're on the you're hey, on the right track. It's, this it's is complicated. <laughs> so this it's is the child timeline. So at the end of Ocarina of Time, this is the timeline where Link goes back um, to his childhood and basically goes to the King of Hyrule and is like, "Hey, I traveled through time. Here's this fucked up shit that Ganondorf did. You need to arrest this man right now." And then they do, and they punish Ganon and put him in the Twilight Realm. If only he can, it was like, that easy. If before only a kid could just plan. go to a king and yeah. say, "Hey, this dude's bad." What did the one where Link dies lead to? I think that leads to Link to the Past. I think. Let me look it up. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, this I, is, I said we weren't going to get into the Zelda timeline, and now we're here gonna, we are. Like, we'll have to get into semantics. it I just, at some point. It's very confusing. I truly don't care. I, I love like, it. I love it. <laughs> I find it so interesting. I was just watching something about all this, mm. and I can't believe I just forgot. Yeah, but okay. So I, I guess I'm of the opinion that like Nintendo didn't know these games were in a timeline when they started making them, so I think... The, the fact that there's, like, an official Zelda timeline now. Well, I think, to push against that, Eric, a little bit, like, there are story threads in here that, like, corroborate this. Like, I mean, we do see, like, Ganondorf's background and how he got imprisoned, and they, like, kind of allude to Ocarina of Time. So they do kind of build that canon in. It still is, like, I all agree, it's loose and, like, shouldn't be, like, taken as, like core meat yeah and, 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 like, and, and, and does not affect the enjoyment of any of the individual games mm-hmm. in the series like it's one of those things it exists and it's cool to think but about it but does, it's not required to understand yeah. to like get the picture it does give me enjoyment though because i'm i'm a slut for lore i love uh lore building i did look it up um so in ocarina of time the timeline where he's where link dies and gets defeated leads to link to the past and then the original legend of zelda games um Mm -hmm. then there's the child timeline where link um goes back in time um warns them about ganon and his shenanigans and then goes to shenanigans forget it is shenanigans shenanigans yes thank you then goes to termina to do majora's mask and then after Majora's Mask, years and years in the future, leads to Twilight Princess. And in the adult timeline, leads to Wind Waker and Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks. Uh, so that's the split in the timeline. The Anyways, none of that matters. Timelines. The reason I brought all this up in the first place was because Twilight Princess, it's like a Hyrule almost in decline. And like it kind of mm-hmm. seems like a kingdom at the end of its era. Um, it's, a li- it's a little end capitalism Hyrule. Yeah. And, yeah. Or, I and guess like, end monarchy. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and like, sure. I mean, that's what it is. Stage but yes. And everywhere you visit, too, like in the desert and everywhere, you see like all these ruins and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it feels very like it feels like you're seeing a glimpse at what once was. Mm-hmm. And so it, it feels, even though you're not, even though you don't know all of the pieces of the history, it feels like you're getting a glimpse at another world. Mm-hmm. Right. And it feels yeah. very, um, you know, a, a kingdom ununited. You know, Zelda has all of these races, the the Gorons, the rock people that live in the volcano, the Zoras who are the, the fish people that swim in the in the mountains. Um, and this game is the one where it feels like uh, you know, all of these kind of separate colonies and villages are exist but disparate from each other, and you can tell that all of them are not what they once were. Yeah. I mean, especially too, since like it seems like this twilight invasion has kind of has kind of like spread across the kingdom unchecked because there's this lack of unity there. And like, uh, right. And again, it's that, that twilight metaphor of like, you know, this is a kingdom in it's twilight. This is a, a twilight curse that is taking over the whole land. There is such a feeling of, um, such a weird feeling of closure in this game that we know that we know. And everyone knew when it came out was not going to be the last Zelda game, but felt like such a, um, I don't even know what the word is, but like, uh, uh, there's a finality to it. Like yeah. A, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
such a such a um a finality but in from the coming from the idea of like yes but we can we can rise from this we can be reborn from mm-hmm. this this the closing of this chapter which is uh, such a beautiful take and such a beautiful metaphor for a Zelda game to have um this feeling of finality when these games are always so they always feel so apocalyptic and so end of the world this one really than any of the others goes into like no it's going to we're done soon so link do something yeah <laughs> <laughs> tea <laughs> that is tea and that's why it's my favorite okay you yeah. know listener you know me i love dark trip this is my favorite zelda game this is um the one that is just not not dark and a scary but just dark and a wow what happens now mm-hmm. well i will i will say as a kid i was a little spooked playing this there game. are some parts like, there are some parts that are very upsetting in this game like with like the pose the like little ghost that you have to hunt those were always mm-hmm. spooky also like the like the little like twilight bugs that you have to hunt i was always scared mm-hmm. of those like jumping out there's of the um, there's also that cut scene where um you confront uh, the villain of the game mm-hmm. we referred to him earlier zant where he sort of gives you this um hypnotic vision that's like full of all of these like haunted links and like laughing zelda do you remember this it I don't remember this, but I also don't remember being scared by this game. Mm-hmm. I, I know that I am just built different, but I also <laughs> just, uh, I like dark things a lot. Like, like this to me, like didn't feel like it was made to be scary. It just felt like more real and more like, I, just like a different kind of world than other Zelda games. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I also played it later, like late. And so I wasn't, um, as a scared to catch child. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Well, I fully yeah. played this as a 14-year-old and went, ah! No, no, that scene you're talking about, Eric, is so disturbing because, like, mm-hmm. yeah, like, all these, like, dark versions of Link come out and are chasing after him. And then, like, you see Ilya, but her eyes, like, turn white. And then, like, yeah. she's like, oh, and it, it, and, it, and it does that thing that. where, like, you yeah. see the Triforce and, the, and you're and Link is running towards it, but you're running, but you're not getting any closer. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, like you have in Nightmares when you're running but not moving. It was, um... Famously, as uh, you do, as one does in nightmares. As one does in, in nightmares, you don't go anywhere. You move your legs, but you're staying in that same spot, and you're going to die if it gets you. Wake <laughs> up, listener. Wake up, listener. You're having a dream. Wake I up. I was really happy that they finally gave Link his own little girlfriend instead of, like... Uh, instead of instead, like, of instead Zelda of, being instead the girlfriend. Half <laughs> instead of Zelda. Instead of Zelda, who will never love him. Yeah, well, here's the thing. There's a really interesting Zelda portrayal of Zelda in this game, too. Yeah, Zelda's giving me, I'll say it, lesbian vibes. <gasps> Her and Midna, her and Midna, they have little Kiki. Well, yeah, I'm just, I mean, more mostly, uh, just like I don't know. There's a there's a sense of stature that Zelda has in this game. Also, it should be noted, uh, famously brunette in this game compared to like the soft blonde mm-hmm. that she is in every other well, iteration of Zelda. Truly, both Link and Zelda are like brunette in this game. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was thinking yeah, Link's like, 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 like a strawberry blonde, blonde. yeah, mm-hmm. dirty strawberry. Yeah, but this is also one of those Zelda games where, like, the relationship between Link and Zelda is truly non-existent. It's very transactional, um, or not transactional, but, like, I don't know, they're just working for Zelda's like, a hey, goal, but are kind of out of the way of each other. Yeah. Hey, you're right here, and you have the Triforce for some reason. You need to help. Mm-hmm. You know, Zelda, you know, like, she, this well, is the one where the, you... Zelda's kind of, like, at the end of her rope in this game. I mean, like, t- well, the yeah. Twilight Realm has already essentially won. She's, like, lost the war, and so she's kind of, like, holding mm-hmm. on to the last scrap right, of hope here. Uh, you know, it's like the this twilight infection that's taken over the lane. Like the root of it, the core is at you know ca- Hyrule Town, the castle that is at the center of the of the world of the game, and also mm-hmm. like the political seat of this world is the thing that is like where most of the twilight is is in, is um, stemming out of. Um, and so she's there in that high tower, just you know 
brooding like Zelda mm-hmm. does. Biding her time. Um, biding her time. But it, it yeah. is truly like you, you get the sense that she is like a princess who will, who is soon to be queen, who is like responsible for all of her people. You know, there, there is truly not much that is childlike or innocent about her in this version of the game, which I feel like is the first time we don't see a, a sort of liveliness of the character. She is very, very serious. She is very much like, no, I must save my people. At least in the like modern Zelda games. Cause like, Mm -hmm. I I don't know. She, in the original Zelda games, she doesn't have, storyline right. at all she's like but in, but in ocarina in out. ocarina she's a child at the start yeah you see of her as game. a child and then you yeah. see her as as chic an iconic moment which we will mm-hmm. of course talk about when we talk about uh, talk about ocarina time eventually of early cross-dressing representation in that game playing with gender wow it was a moment Hello? it was um, a moment but yeah yeah an interesting portrayal of zelda in this game um anything else we want to talk about with this game in particular I have a thing, but, <laughs> um, but uh, I, I just think this game for me is like, um, I think the reason it sticks around is because it truly feels like one of those, those games that is just like set piece back to back set piece. You know, mm-hmm. there's, um, this moment almost about halfway through the game where, um, you know, like I said earlier, there are these, like this, this group, small group of children who are look up to the link that sort of follow him in this subplot throughout the game. You know, they're going from, different town to different town. And um, one of these kids, Colin, who is the kid who like says directly, I want to be a hero just like you when I grow up a link. Um, you know, these kids are, I think they're in Kakariko village. They're not mm-hmm. in their hometown, but they sort of been displaced to this other town and the town gets invaded um, by these uh, uh, goblins, bokoblins. I forget what they're called in this game. Moblins. Um, Moblins. Yeah, Yeah, but they, Colin, you know, you know, saves, you know, pushes this one kid out of the way to save him, but then ends up being the one who gets taken. And then there's this mission where Link has to go out and save Colin, this kid, but it's this epic, epic um, showdown on this horseback, on this, on On the bridge, bridge, on this bridge that has no railings. It's this big mirror. And it's like a joust. You have to joust with this like Macoblin King. That um, was so hard. I remember being so mm -hmm. stuck at that part of the game a lot. It was very yeah, it's a hard but little very mini game, but it's a very climactic, and it's mm-hmm. not, and that's not even like a a story climax. It's more of just an emotional climax yeah. for like this this part this part of this story arc in the game. Like, yeah, this, there's a there's a huge epic scale to this game, which mm-hmm. I really appreciate. Um, I wanted those kids to die. <laughs> wow, you heard it first. I love I love Nick those said kids. fuck them kids. <laughs> I hated them. They're little I, weird little eyebrows. My favorite one was the little baby who runs the little the baby store. who's like who's like a full grown ass man acts like yeah. a grown adult, but is a baby who like somehow ends up owning a shop by, in in Castletown by the end of the love game. Him. No, I love him. Yeah, they were terrifying. I just, <laughs> like I don't want to save them. Do you remember the the suit of armor that just costs money to wear? It's like the most expensive suit of armor oh, the in the game armor. you can the buy. Magic the magic armor. armor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like every every second that you wear it, every second you lose a rupee and you can only hold like 600 of them in the game. So you can wear it for 600 seconds and then you... You can hold more than 600 rupees. You have to collect those bugs, honey, for oh, Miss Agatha. Oh, oh my gosh. We didn't talk about well, Agatha. I, yeah, that, that was going to be my next point is like the character design in this game. Like mm-hmm. so over the top. Nick, you kind of talked about it when you were talking about like revisiting well, yeah, the game. I mean, for it being so realistic, like there were some like pretty extreme designs in the mm-hmm. game, which I think is is just interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but to talk about like some queer stuff too, um, a lot of like androgynous characters and like kind of like queer coded characters, at least in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, like I don't know if y'all remember like the the chief of the Kakariko village. Um, what was his name? The Renato. 
um, Renato is like this, uh, the chief of the village. And I think uses he, him pronouns in the game, but like is very <laughs> androgynous and like has like these like very like intense feminine features, but is like very tall and serene. Right. I think and, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. I was thinking of um the, the big breasted woman who's the barkeep. Do you remember That's her? That's another one I was going to mention I, too. She is one of my other favorite. I can't even remember her name at this um, moment. I had it. What was it? What was it? Uh, Telma, Telma is the name of the Telma. bar owner. She was such a, and that's the, these games don't, um, they don't give you a lot of backstory of these characters. But I think, like you were saying, Nick, about the visual design of these people, you get so much history and story from these characters just based on their design in the game, which I think is a really unique skill that this game mm-hmm. is is very good at. Also, do y'all remember that faggy clown who shoots you out of a cannon yes. <laughs> in the lake? <laughs> yes, I no. loved them. I love yeah. those two gay he's like clowns. A clown and he has he's like he's like wearing like a green crop top and like it's like cranking this oh, cannon he- and like shoots you out of it. <laughs> yes, I also I feel like it, they introduced these like I, re- I can barely remember, but these like sort of like adventurer explorer characters that you had to like go and find in different parts of the world. Yeah, Do you remember? yes, 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 yes. I'm I'm vaguely remembering it. Yes, there was one of them that felt very like foppish mm-hmm. and like. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Gay vibes um, for sure. There. Also, speaking of foppish, we mentioned it earlier. Demon Twink himself, Sans. Uh, I always got like weird, uh, kind of queer vibes from him. Well, he he's a very creepy character until you fight him. When it, it, it it's like th- there's this reveal mm. of him. He wears this mask, this like very sharp pointed, almost like bug slash iguana looking yes. metal hood that he takes off when you finally confront him at the end of the game, and he's just like goes he unhinged this, mode. This unhinged like demon. Yeah, <laughs> truly, like uh, yeah. I think that's it. Like he's presented this game as this like brooding evil figure, like with the same kind of stature. He's the, and he's status the king of Twilight. As, yeah, yeah. the same status as um, um, Ganon. But then you realize he is just this person who's like been driven mad with power. Who like um, he's called the Usurper King, I think, because like he wasn't like royal or anything. He was just one of the Twilight citizens who. Um, essentially enacted a coup and grabbed that power. But yeah, it truly goes unhinged and yeah, kind of, it becomes this weird, like kind of queer coded villain. At the end. Yeah. But, but I do remember him being one of my favorite mm-hmm. boss fights in the game because it is, um, it's the boss fight becomes like rehashes of all of the bosses of the dungeons mm-hmm. previous to this. This game has a lot of dungeons. We haven't even talked about like oh, yeah, playing yeah. this game. Um, but the, the fight against Zant is, um, you know, every stage of the fight against him is like a take on um, one of the bosses. One of the things that he, that he pitted you against in the past. And it's right, kind of like right. him, you know, grasping at his last remainders mm-hmm. of power and like trying to defeat you with it. Um, mm-hmm. Also, do you remember how like at the end of the game, like after you like after you spoiler alert, kill Ganondorf in a one on one sword <gasps> battle. That is the Link absolute wins? fucking climax of this game. Mm-hmm. Um uh. But, like, the final, like, death blow, like, it cuts to, like, Xant and, like, he, like, snaps his own neck and that's what, like, leads to Ganondorf dying. Do y'all remember that? No, I no. don't. Oh I God. forgot about that until I looked it up earlier today. Like, I, I wish I could have really, played this before. Yeah, it's just really creepy. It's and that's famously hard hey, to Nintendo, play this game. <laughs> re-release this damn game. Where's I don't know <laughs> if they're going to. I was reading I, about I, it. Mm, and I'm I getting that, less confident. Sure. Yeah. I think that they're afraid that it won't do well but i think that like at least for a while i think they're going to wait on this 
one. Well, it's interesting when they, um, their most recent Nintendo Direct, when they talked about Zelda news, I think it was the E3 Direct, um, they talked more about Skyward Sword and Breath of the Wild 2, and they, they explicitly said, we don't have any other plans for Zelda releases at this moment. So, like, it doesn't um, seem for, like for the anniversary, for the 35th for the, anniversary, for the 35th this is all weird. And yeah. I think the, 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 the hope was that they were going to release Skyward Sword and then also release the ports of Wind Waker and this Twilight Princess and that came out on the Wind Wii. Because yeah. mm-hmm. um, they're, they're good ports. I didn't play them. From what I've heard, they're pretty good ports of those games with, like, yeah, pretty... I think- they're pretty good updates versions like, of the game yeah yeah like updates that don't really they don't change the game but a sort of improve or like just, you know um i'm trying to think of what the phrase is uh uh, uh dusted yeah. up a little they took a broom sweeped it you went yo a little cleaner version of the game oh polished up the edges polished a little mm-hmm. more polished but not necessarily like changed in any significant way yeah um, lots of like but, quality of life improvements in those games too quality of waker. life that's what i was trying to say Work. quality of life improvements yeah especially in wind waker with the faster sale but that's a different game mm-hmm. um one of the last Famously. things i wanted to talk about i talked about how link was sexually formative for me in this game mm-hmm. and what I you talked about on that do it for you talked about it on i that did do it for yes you. um uh, i talked about link being sexually formative for me specifically this iteration of link specifically because so there's a point in this game where you're climbing death mountain home of the gorons and you need to like prove your strength to this like tribe of uh goron creatures and they ask you to wrestle problem is link don't know how to wrestle he knows how to wield a sword he knows how to throw bombs shoot a bow and arrow mm-hmm. but he can't really wrestle a so wind go- a gale boomerang one of my mm-hmm. favorite items in the game it's a boomerang but also directs the wind so he boomerangs him his ass back to his hometown and goes to like the mayor and the mayor is like, all right, boo, I'll teach you how to sumo wrestle. And we you know, this- every mayor is a professional <laughs> sumo wrestler on the side. Yeah. Nick, you're shaking your head with like satisfaction. Is that? <laughs> I, I, I absolutely loved this moment in the game. It was, it was incredible. Yeah. Okay. So like, um, he teaches you how to sumo wrestle and like, you like go into this like dojo and Link has his shirt fully off. You can see all 12 of those polygons on his chest. <laughs> and you, like, do, like, a full sumo wrestling match where, like, you, like, where, like, um, you slap each other around and, like, and, wrestle. And, he, and he's shirtless. Just, he has, like, oof. you know, the sumo wrap that in my brain as a kid, I was like, is that a diaper? Is Link wearing a fucking diaper right now? <laughs> yeah, but, like, but no. truly, truly, It's this hot out. sumo getup. Titties and out. It's really hot. And, like, there's, like I said, they're, like, the smacking noises. They're just smacking each other around. <laughs> And it, it did something for me. Um, and then I was very happy. Well, wait. If I'm remembering correctly, like, when you do it again and face the Gorons, I don't think you take your shirt off that time. And I think I got disappointed by that. No. But I can't remember. I remember you that. wear the iron boots. I remember because mm-hmm. the mini game, the sumo wrestling mini game is kind of fun where you kind of have to, like, circle around your opponent in this sumo ring and like mm-hmm. get it like find an opening on them so you can like grab them and push them to the edge. And you have to push them like outside the edge of the circle to win. I remember it being kind of hard. It's it's like when you're learning it in your sumo getup with the mare, it's like sort of a tutorial. But then when you really face, you learn it to fight the Gorons in, in yeah. Death Mountain. When you really face them, it's a pretty hard little a little moment of the game. It's all I right. Don't think and I, it made I, Lawrence a little hard too, I, sounds ew, like. Ew, <laughs> I, I was happy that replaying it though. <laughs> I think you're right, Lawrence. I think that you only are shirtless when you're fighting that the- That first uh, time, yeah. The, the mayor. The mayor. Mm-hmm. You're just gay for the mayor and not for the, the Gorons. The Gorons? Kind Don't of say sexy. it. Don't I say it. it. You said it. <laughs> They're kind of Especially in Breath of the Wild. I, I was like, going to say the little the little um, twink Gor. Not even twink. The little cub like Goron little you meet. 
<laughs> Nick is making disgusted faces. At what us. was his no? What was his name? Because I know he, he's. I don't he's, remember. He's, he's voice acted. He's like the little young cub Goron that I was mm-hmm. like. It's kind of cute. <laughs> Gorons are Gorons are hot. <laughs> I was trying to remember what they looked like in Breath of the Wild, but they all look the same. They just look like round eggs. They're with round little, rock people, <laughs> like little smiley faces. <laughs> <laughs> but they're chill. They just like to chill at hot springs. Uh, vibe Roll out. Around, take I want to rock. I want to smoke a blunt with some Gorons. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And I want to do Molly with some Zoras and just go swim in a in a lake full of black lights. Oh man. Um, anyway. What are y'all favorite uh, dungeons in this game? Mo- or just gaming moments? I want to hear what what you really um remember the most from this game because I have one dungeon in my mind that sticks out to me. It's like one of my best, one of the best in the series. What I remember the most is the like the desert dungeon that used yes. the like the grindy. That was thing. my that was my that was what I was gonna say. The, I that the arbiter's is, grounds is that what it's called? Yes, I do not remember. Yeah. But I I think that that item I think the items in this the game spinner. in general are really like iconic, and I think that one was like so much fun. Yeah, it's and like I think this that that spinner thing that you sort of stand on that like sort of hooks into these like rails in the wall that lets you like speed around these rails that take you through the length of the dungeon. And the way that they utilized that was just really fun to mm-hmm. like engage with. Like it felt like, even though you were just like standing on it and you were going, it felt like fun. It felt yeah, like you're actually little, doing it. Like Zelda's version of like Tony Hawk skateboarding. Um, <laughs> yes. yeah, this like spinning gear item um, that I remember you like use against the boss at the end. It's also like one of my favorite bosses in the game where you have to like, use this spinner thing to like hit him in the it's a yeah. bone monster that you have to like oh yeah, break yeah, the yeah little bits of his the little individual vertebra of his spine by like ramming your spinning gear well that sounds very morbid now that i'm saying it <laughs> um, but it was one of for me i was gonna say that's my favorite dungeon and probably one of my favorite boss fights in this game and also in all of zelda because it um utilizes the item that you find in the dungeon and also utilizes you know that dungeon has a lot of like trying to find the pose like you talked about earlier these sort of Mm -hmm. ghost figures that then light the lanterns that open up different pathways through this like sand temple there's so many good moments in this game i really liked um i think my favorite would be the castle in this or the city in the sky uh, yeah, you find those really little cool. half half people, half like chicken people. Yes. You remember those? The uh, what are they called? The uh, okukus or something? Um, they're, like yeah, cuc- they're cuckoos who are the chickens, but in they Zelda, have like then, human faces and they're fucked. Yeah, but then there's the <laughs> inverse, which are like the okukus who are like yeah. people. They have human heads but burnt like chicken bodies. It's yes, really weird. But I think that temple is my favorite. A lot of like um, flying through the sky and like suspended like uh, open chasms. I will say though, and I might be fighting with y'all a little bit. I think all the I think all the dungeons in this game are just a tad too long and a little too complicated. This this yeah, this game has a ton of dungeons. I think it's I, the most of any Zelda. No, not even the number of dungeons. I think each individual dungeon is too long and sometimes gets frustrating and it's easy to get lost. Yeah. Like the uh, the fucking water temple in this game. I love the water temple. I'm in this sorry. Game. It's like, it's where I fell off in the HD remaster because it just is too complicated. If you set it down, it's easy to get lost. And I don't know, that's kind of my qualm. And it's why again, I really like Twilight Princess, but it's not my absolute fave just because the dungeons are not my fave. Although I really love the design of all of them and uh, the items and all of them. I agree with y'all on that point. Water temples are always flops mm-hmm. for me. So I, <laughs> So I, I like them. I think the water temples are good, actually. Water but I'm weird like for that. me. 
but I, I, so I get why that was the reason. Mm-hmm. But like, I, for me, like I, I like a long, complicated temple that with that's like mm-hmm. really challenging, and it's one of the reasons why Breath of the Wild isn't my favorite. Because oh yeah, I agree. All, I wish flop mm-hmm. dungeons in that game because the shrines are all too easy, and the like the temples themselves, the like guardians the or whatever, they're all they're all yeah. kind of the same. Visually, they, they all look the same. They the all puzzles look aren't the same, that complex, and they're so easy. Yeah, but this game, and I think that's yeah. I was saying right at the beginning how it feels like there's lots of of things that this game pulls from that breath of the wild pulls from twilight princess and then from skyward sword i feel like i i wish breath of the wild would have pulled more from the dungeon in this game because i yeah i do think they're long but i think everything about this game is about the scale of it all it is the up to that point it was the biggest zelda game the biggest open world the the grandest story the most um fleshed out dungeons and puzzles and items like and i think for a lot of people it for them it's like oh this is too much and i do think there is um there are parts where fat could have been trimmed from this game. And I think a lot of that happened in the, in the HD re-release with like those little twilight bug missions that you go on. Aren't those oh, shorter? They, I don't I know. I think those are shorter. I think, cause I think a lot of people complain that like, there's that, there are those missions where you're, you're wolf link and you have to go around this yeah, the twilight the realm and find yeah. the tears mm-hmm. of light. And there's just way too many of them. But I think they, I think they trimmed the number that you get. Um, I think so. I think you might be right if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, but um, but it's but but it's all big. Like the game, like 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 Hylia in this game is is just gigantic body of water that is so mm-hmm. much to explore, and I the love, desert like, is its own little game. separate like open world section, separate from the rest of Hyrule Field that exists. And uh, I don't know. And I and it's 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 so much nostalgia for me. It, it was the first Zelda game I played. It was the first game I played on Wii. But for me, it was where so many of my um, so many of my sensibilities that I like in video games, so many of the things that I like in design, in, in gameplay, I think come from this game because this game was sort of a a benchmark for me as a mm-hmm. as a gamer. And, you know, the game being a sort of a game about growing up and, um, you know, Twilight moving from light into dark, there was a lot of me going, oh, this is what a, a modern game is. This is where the future of games are going. This is like, <laughs> this game is the game that makes me want to play games for the rest of my life. And so yeah. I'm going to defend this and for the rest of my life. I think Twilight Princess is the best Zelda game, uh, period. And Work. That's an I opinion want, to have. That is an opinion <laughs> that I have. Nick, what, do you have any final thoughts on um, Twilight Princess before we move on? Um, I just love it, and I want. I'm I'm excited for the next Zelda game, but I also am like interested to see because I feel like the trend with Zelda games have been sort of like, even though Breath of the Wild, yeah, like I'm interested for it to swing in another direction because I do feel like, even even though Breath of the Wild is has is more realistic than like Wind Waker, and it, it does feel like sort of on the same tier as like Skyward Sword, and it has a very like cartoony vibe and so i'm like i'm interested for zelda as a franchise to sort of swing back into like a more gritty realistic darkness yeah because i I feel like the thing we're not talking about is yeah we're getting breath of the wild too but after that where does where does zelda go does it go back to its roots what would that even mean does it keep pushing the open world formula and i don't think we're gonna get it until like late 2020s like I, i feel like the next zelda game after Breath of the Wild 2 will be like 2028, which it'll is be, wild it'll, it'll definitely be next console. Yeah. Or if even that, it'll be we'll like see. the console after that. We don't really know. We can only speculate. We but for now we have to I don't know, I guess bask in the now, bask mm-hmm. in the beautiful 
Twilight. And just keep writing angry letters to Nintendo asking for them to re-release all the Zelda games on one console so we can actually play them. We can just howl at them until (laughs) until Okay, wait, so this is what I wanna I wanna go over. So we can play the original Zelda and Link to the Past, you know, through the through like the Nintendo online um, Mm -hmm. service, right? We don't we don't have a way to play Ocarina right now or or Majora's Mask unless it's unless unless it's a 3DS version. Yeah. We have the we have that Wind Waker HD for Wii, and we have the Twilight Princess for Wii U. Wii U. You keep saying Wii, but they're both Wii U. <laughs> no, no, I thought it was, it was a Wii U. Wii U. Anyway, Wii U. Wii U. But um, we, we have to move on. <laughs> but I guess my point is, it's Nintendo. It yeah, should not be them. so hard to we put all of your Zelda games them. on one console. Them. It shouldn't. You know that people will pay sixty dollars no matter what. Uh, so what's the hold up? Yeah, Come on, do it. It's just a thing waiting to happen. And hey, I mean, when we when we talked about Skyward Sword last time, it only took a couple weeks for them to announce the Skyward Sword HD. So who knows what might maybe come we're down manifesting all Zelda manifest. games one day. Anyways, let's manifest more of this podcast <laughs> after this break. <laughs> <laughs> more gay for play oh my gosh it's so nice to have you here Nick. thank you for coming on yeah um, incredible art for uh, our show thank you again i don't think we ever said thank you on mic uh, my my you. absolute pleasure oh my gosh i love it well um usually <laughs> so what we do at this in this portion of the show is we come back from our break and we talk about what else we're gay for this week um, we did say I was gonna go first. And oh so, yeah, work. Go ahead. So I do. I do. Well, I do. Me, suppose I will ask me, myself. Well, now let me pause the question. Let me be a oh, good conversationalist. Okay, okay. Let me be a good little podcast co-host. Hey, Eric. What else are you gay for this week? <gasps> what else am I <laughs> gay for this week? Oh my gosh. Well, last week I talked about a book. Um, brave. So I'm gonna bring it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna, yeah. Exactly. Brave. So I'm gonna bring it back to a safer place and talk about another video game that I've been playing. Um, nice. I am going to throw some love out there to um, Paper Mario and the Origami King. Y'all remember oh, this game? Work. I was oh. just thinking about this game the other day. Okay. And how I, like never finished it. Okay. Okay. Here's what I'll say, Lawrence. You should finish it. Work. I was uh, I was not like sour on this game when it came out last year. Um, I'm a I'm a big Paper Mario stand, Thousand Year Door, Super Paper Mario, the original Paper Mario for the N64. I love Super Paper Mario. Some of my favorite um, Mario games and just some of my favorite games in general are these like RPG Mario games that also have this very unique like paper craft aesthetic to them. Mm-hmm. You know, th- these this series has become a little controversial. Um, since its early, since its earlier Wii um, GameCube days, because all of the releases for the Wii U and Switch have been these games that have been um, sort of straying away from this RPG turn-based style element of gameplay and just kind of going in this, you know, more rather than rather than substance. These games are going a lot more into the style, and I think that's been the detriment to it. The, the fights are getting less important, the stories are getting less important, but the visual aspects of these games were sort of coming to the forefront. And you can see that in the the newest game in the in the series, Paper Mario and the Origami King, which is a game that came out on the Switch last year. Um, it has this, uh, it still has this turn-based fighting element to it, but 
It's very um, it puzzle is, based. It's, it's very like puzzle. A, it's a, it's a weird puzzle based fighting game where you have you have this ring of enemies. These enemies are on these rings that extend out from a center. Mario's at the center. You have to sort of like rotate the rings of this circle to line up the enemies, so you can line up in a group of four. So that way, you can like stomp on all four of them at once. Um, it's a cute idea, and a it lot just, of this game is full yeah. of cute ideas, but... The thing with the combat for me is, like, I'm, I didn't hate it, and I thought it could be fun and creative sometimes. It did just get repetitive, and I was like, yes. well, I don't see any purpose to, like, run into random encounters if I don't have mm-hmm. to. Um, and especially because because this game does not have, like, an XP system. Like, you don't really uh-huh. gain XP from battles. You just kind of gain coins, coins which, yeah. which are what you can use to buy more stuff and, like, get upgrades and so the game is like also breakable ter- weapons too. <laughs> breakable <laughs> something weapons, they borrowed from Breath of the something Wild. Something they borrowed from Breath of the Wild, and, and and the and the Mario game previous to this was like a it was e- even worse than this game. It was like this weird like which game? almost almost chain. It was um Paper Mario. Oh, Color Sticker Splash. Star. Uh-uh. No, uh, Color Sticker Splash, Star yeah, and yeah. Color Splash, which are both kind of the Color same Splash. game. It's this weird almost like kingdom hearts train of memory style of gameplay where you have to like use cards to fight each other but the card system was not in depth at all and Mm -hmm. truly it was complicated but also like not fun to deal with this game gets rid of the cards it does have like you equip weapons that break but the game is really about these sort of puzzle um battle encounters but but aside from that everything that's not the fighting in this game I really, really like a lot. Mm-hmm. And as I've, I think I got up to like the third world out of like seven worlds. And I'm only now going back and like kind of replaying the game into the end. And in the later game, there's some stuff that I really, really like about this game. Story wise um, or like world exploration wise or like what? Both, both. Mm-hmm. So this, um, the, 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 the fourth world, I don't know if you got to the, how far did you get Lawrence? When you I'm in the this? desert world right now. That's where I stopped. I stopped okay, at the yeah, desert same. world. I do think it's the worst one. After that one is this world that is, um, isn't that? the wind waker world where it's like yeah the, it's the wind waker. there's a there's a full-on like wind waker ripoff in this game where like the, <laughs> the the this this the fourth world is like this open world ocean exploration game it, and it even has like the same sort of like your grid based map as wind waker where every grid oh, wow. has a different island you can find or a different treasure you can spot um and, and what i'm realizing about this game is that it is not um it is one of those games where the the parts are greater than the whole. The individual parts mm, of this game. Lots of set, like ideas that work. Lots of ideas, like lots of like these are set pieces, lots of like visual splendor in this game. Like I said, the paper craft element where every single element of this world, even down to like the water, is like looks like it's either torn paper or it's glitter or it's some kind of like cardboard tube thing. It's it's, yeah. um, it's just moments where you're going, wow, like that that's what a what a cool thing to look at. I can't believe they thought of how to build a world that looks so realistic graphically. Like the textures in this game are great. The, mm-hmm. the, the but paper also element. looks like it is like paper craft and made it looks out like of like it is like craft. paper craft. Really cool. Like it's like someone took it, like someone used their hands to like craft this world. Um, you know, I'm, and I'm, I think I'm in the last world now and it's just a game where it, it every, every turn at the game is not what you expect. Mm-hmm. Um, every time you expect a Mario world, Oh, the last world, it's going to be this big lava, um, world or this castle world no the last world in this game is like some don't spoil don't spoil <laughs> i'm not gonna spoil it i'm not gonna spoil it but like it, it's it's a game where it feels like um i feel like there's this metaphor coming around in video games a lot right now like this game is like a like a theme park ride or a good roller mm. coaster where um it's about the ride it's about what am i gonna find next what's gonna be behind this next corner and even though I don't think this game in the Paper Mario franchise stands up to the height of gameplay or the height of story. It is still a game that when you play it, you can tell there was 
just so much love and attention to detail put into this game that I truly do think it makes it worth the experience to play, even if it is not something that is as close to the previous games in the series that I think people were really hoping for. Uh, there's still yeah, a lot of I think merit to this game. I think I think it deserves more love than it got. Um, I think hopefully people will see it as like a, the turning point for the series, because I do think this game does right a lot of wrongs that the last couple of games have been making. So uh, that's my recommendation. Work. Go play I'll Paper go Mario and, and the Origami it. King. Yes, I, I, I really recommend it. I do think... You're, you you did stop in the slump. I do think that desert world is sort of the mm-hmm. slump of the game. But well, yeah, after that, it I, really picks up. I remember hearing about the Wind Waker ripoff of it all, and I really did want to see that. And then I just I just happened to fall off in the slow part of the game. But I'm excited to go back and have some fresh yeah. late game content to go back to. Yeah, it's it's a it's a complicated sub franchise of the Mario franchise, but I still think it's one that has a lot of a lot of value to it. So and it's so funny that and game is so like, fun. The writing that's the that thing, and I think so that's funny. and I think that's what I'm that I'm alluding to when I'm saying it's worth going through. Like yeah. this game makes like, that's me laugh. What I, yeah, that's more what than I, any other like Mario game I played. There is so much dial. There's so much humor, so much wit in this game that is so wor- worth seeking out. Um, work so that's what i that's what i am gay for maybe nice. gay maybe gayer well uh, what about you lawrence <laughs> um i was gonna throw it to nick next um nick what oh. are you gay for this week um i've been watching a lot of tv lately and i started watching a show called looking which is very gay mm-hmm. and i'm also Explain gay for it gay. <laughs> um, i didn't, I didn't catch gay? i didn't catch it the first time actually <laughs> it's you know there's a few gay characters um <laughs> Uh, no, famously famously show. jonathan groff the gayest actor we have <laughs> <laughs> it's a it, it's kind of old news at this point but um it's gay and it's it's <laughs> i remember when i was like in college and first figuring out that i was gay i was mm-hmm. like i want to watch this so that i can mm-hmm. experience it's a very gayness. like um slice of a life like gays living in san francisco in present day sort of a s- series right it's it's um I don't know. I loved it a lot. I grew up like really close to San Francisco. Um, and so I think I just have a lot of love for that show because it's set in a city that I love a lot. Um, I should go back and watch it though. What, mm-hmm. what are you thinking of it now? Um, watching it, Nick. I really like it. I'm watching it with my boyfriend and he was like, this pr- show probably wouldn't be made now because it's so white. Mm-hmm, and yeah. that's probably true, but it is like, I, I don't think I've ever watched a show that is so gay. Like that is so like so like the all of the main characters are gay, and it's mm-hmm. about like a friend group of gay men, and that's like so interesting to see. Yeah, represented I, in media in that way. Yeah, I remember Lawrence watching Bob. it too. Like it was like the first time that it like. I had seen like <laughs> Grinder represented in media, <laughs> diversity <laughs> win, lol. Um, but no, like also like the first time that I would seen like. I think like the first time I saw like gay sex on television. Mm-hmm. Like, well, it wasn't. It was an HBO joint, right? It was a yes. yeah. So yeah, it was a little like, more risque. Well, but even still, I mean, I I think just the um the portrayal of like um gay sexuality and um sex on screen was like, something that was so revolutionary and so like um like oh art can like be like this like mm-hmm. we're like it, it it made me feel like we were like in a 
in a new era of television. So yeah. And and if I remember, isn't um the main character Jonathan Groff, isn't his character a video game designer in the show? Yes. Oh, wrapping mm-hmm. it back around. <laughs> I think the thing that I appreciate the most about it now, like at this point in my life, like I think when I if when I was younger, I would have like really appreciated the fact that it was portraying like gay romantic relationships a lot. Mm-hmm. But I think what I'm appreciating now is these like gay friendships between men. Mm-hmm. I think that like I that, remember that sticking out. Like there's a, there's a lot of gay characters, but not all of them are sleeping together. They're just friends. Yeah, and I think like that... all of us, three friends who have never slept together. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But I think that that is like really, really beautiful and something that I like appreciate, and I I wish that I saw more of. Yeah, it's dope. I I, I remember being. Like, I never finished it, but it, I think it ended up with, like, a movie, right? They had, like, two seasons in a movie. Which which I never yeah. saw. I also, yeah. I was big on this show, but I remember never watching, like, Same. the finale of it because I was like, I don't want to see how it ends. I love it too much. I, that's me with every day. television show. Yeah. I never finish TV shows or video oh my games, God. too. I need to, though. <laughs> Wait, You know what? what I just finished that I hadn't what? finished? Um, speaking of TV that's gay, Steven Universe. Oh, work. My sister just finished it recently, too. Did you Famously watch... Famously, the gayest cartoon ever made. <laughs> I haven't watched Steven Universe Future, Future. Mm-hmm. but I... Oh, my God, you have to. Actually, I... it is the better ending to the show than any of really? the other Interestingly, things. my sister disagreed. She was like, I... it just made me kind of sad. You know what was Well, no, interesting... it made me sad, but to me, it's mm-hmm. it's it's the most realistic closure for those characters mm-hmm. than any... Than the movie or the the OG series. I think, like, the, the miniseries Future is the best. Nick, what were you going to say? Ending. Like, I didn't... Here, like, I saw, like, a lot of criticism of, like, people, like, seeing the the big villains, like, sort of being treated so softly in the end. But I I think that, like, is only true if you're viewing it, like, realistically. And I think the whole show is really a metaphor for family. And I think that, like, I didn't have that reaction to watching it in the end because it was really just, like, it was really, like... Steven trying to get his family to get along and like and yes like these are like big space creatures who like <laughs> committed genocide but like that is terrible but it's also supposed to be a metaphor like that and so him being like hey let's all get along is really like a light reaction to that but like it's supposed to be like their toxicity that he's forgiving not their like genocide mm. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that Steven Universe Future is the is the epilogue of the show that really deals with that. It sort of mm. deals with like the 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 after the happily ever after, so to say. Is um, interesting. This game kind of I... go the like you were saying last week about Boruto, Lawrence. Like this, even though it's it's like I think it's like fourteen episodes. This this future Steven Universe Future thing, it really does um you know sort of tell you. You know, that at the end of the day, yeah, we we beat the big bad, but there is still unresolved shit just between us as a family that needs yeah. to be dealt with. And to me, that felt like the much more um, um honest ending to the show that it needed. Especially for a show that over time became so much about emotional honesty and um, yeah. vulnerability. Yeah, I'm really I love interested it too. so much. I, I think I like had... I never saw the last season of Steven Universe, and I obviously didn't see features. So we should. I'll go back and finish. Talk those. about it on the show. Someday. Yeah, maybe a Patreon. For, for me, it's an incredibly formative um, piece of queer animation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that sort of like for me, for me as like a young college kid going, I don't need cartoons anymore. I'm a grown up now. And then Steven Universe was the show that mm-hmm. told me that no, bitch, you're wrong. Yeah. you're gonna love these for the rest of your life. Yeah, same. I mean, because yeah, Nick, I think you and I watched a lot of it together in college. We did, and, yeah. yeah. Wow, what a moment. <laughs> um, Lawrence, 
Lawrence Lawrence, what are you gay for this week? I am gay for a game that, guess what? I finally beat. You know, ah! Speaking of things I never finished, I oh beat Hollow Knight the other day. Can you wow. believe? Truly one of the best games ever? Yes. I would say so. Like, um, yeah. So, Eric, you recommended Hollow Knight to me ages ago. I've talked about it in the pod before. Um, Metroidvania about this little little ghost guy with a little skull on his head um, traveling through this kingdom of bugs that has like fallen victim to this infection and is um, dying and dead, much like uh, Twilight Princess, a kind of a civilization at its end. I think Hollow Knight yeah, takes decline. that kind of although this is like more to its extreme. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, beautiful game, so much exploration and so much. You know, I, when I finish it, I won't spoil because Nick, I know you're playing it right now too. Yes. Um, but kind of hard to spoil. I mean, like Dark Souls, there is a story to this game, but it, it is not lined out very clearly. Like a lot of my understanding of this game came from like YouTube videos and Wikipedia articles I read yeah. after the fact. But I think, yeah. And so I guess I, I, you know, I don't need to spoil the ending of the game anyway, but I think what's brilliant about this game, it teaches you over time, um, the ways that this um that this kingdom persisted as a way to hold on to the past and to um hold on to grief instead of letting things rest there's lots mm-hmm. of themes in this game about um should we let should we let this thing that is dying and in this dreamlike dreamlike liminal space of nothingness continue or should we cut it out um mm-hmm. and what's interesting for me personally to make a personal antidote to it about this game is when I first fell off of this game, as I often do with games, um, it was because I was playing it the night... I'm sorry to make this sad. <laughs> I was playing it the night that my dog died. Um, and so, like, it was kind of like a, a, a game that I didn't want to be in the headspace for because I was like, this is already like kind of a sad game. I don't really want to, you know, um, play it, especially now that I have this, like, negative thing tied up to it. But once, once I went back to it, A, I'm glad I did because it is a fantastic game beautiful game challenging rewarding fun uh but it also i think thematically tied back in and helped me kind of resolve or at least accept those feelings of grief and be like death is something that is gonna happen to all of us no spoiler alert for life not me not me i'm not Not me though i'm built different (laughs) (laughs) um but it's something that i think we should not be afraid of looking at and should not be afraid of analyzing our relationship to. And I think that this game does a brilliant job of uh, doing that without being so heavy handed <laughs> about it. Um, but yeah, it's, no, a really it's, beautiful it's an game. incredibly subtle game. Like yeah. you, there is so much in this game that I did not pick up the first time that after playing and going through and playing it a second time with more context for what is like actually happening in the game, I went, Oh my God, this, mm-hmm. this game is doing so much from the very first moment to tell yeah. you like what kind of a world you're going to find. And, what kind of a story you're going to experience. Um, I'm so glad. Oh, I'm so glad you finished it. So you beat like the, uh, we can't spoil it, but you've gotten. There's multiple endings. I um, beat the regular ending of the game. And then Mm -hmm. I did the thing to unlock all the other endings of the game. And I tried to beat the second ending and it was really hard. And I just Mm -hmm. looked at YouTube videos of the alternate endings. (laughs) That's what I, well, okay. So I I was going to say you, you sent me screenshots that you beat one of like the hardest challenges in the game. It's not a, not a combat challenge, but like it's platforming. A platforming challenge, yeah. It's platforming challenge of you like, you know, 
um, kind of like testing, yeah, testing all of your skills that you've built throughout the game and like yeah, one yeah, but final, it's like it's like, like, a, like it's a castle full of saw blades and it's just you like slashing these saw blades to not die, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to like jump up higher and higher. But I was when you sent me that I was shocked because I yeah. did not. To me, that was where I stopped, and I thought I I just assumed most people stopped at that point. Like, oh, I assumed a, few, a couple people on YouTube got to interesting the, the end that, of that I beat a platforming uh, challenge that you did. That I did, <laughs> even though I did say on the last episode that I am in fact the best platformer, famously in better the at game platformers than I am. But I yeah. guess I have something in my belt. Yeah. Um, Nick, I know you're playing this game too. Do you have any like general thoughts on it as you're working your way through it? I just think it's so beautiful and like mm-hmm. I really appreciate the like subtle touches of story and that it's like it's it feels very rich without mm-hmm. it being heavy handed like you guys are saying it's like there's little bits of it that you're gathering but like it feels very like player focused and not like you're getting all these cutscenes. it's like yeah your exploration and wanting to explore kind of gives you the story and like that and it, the fact that like it feels like such a big world with it just being a side scrolling mm-hmm. platformer is i think really incredible and and that like how the the like art design of the game i think is really beautiful this game is very hard though yeah it is a it is tough i will say though um nick don't get discouraged cuz i did get discouraged not just cuz my dog died but also cuz it was hard <laughs> Yeah, there's like um, some bosses that I'm like, I'm gonna come back and I'm fight a, this yeah, one I'm later. Come back. Well, but there's a couple ma- bosses that once you beat, you're like, oh fuck you, man! Oh, it's, I got you though. Finally, Nick, it's interesting. You mentioned the mantis lords to me the other day. How, how you like challenged them and like didn't. When you said that to me, I was like, wait, I never went back and beat the mantis lords either. And then I did. And what I was gonna that say reveals is that, like a whole new area, doesn't it? it? It's one of the ways to reveal a whole yeah, new area. But um, I also didn't mm-hmm. find the mantis lords until like after I beat the game and was going back to like stuff because there's a way into that. The Mantis Lords is a fight that opens you up to a new part of the map. I found the alternate way into that yeah. part of the map. So I never even fought the Mantis Lords until like late, late, late in the game. Yes. Which is, again, a testament to how great this game is. It's like if you find one challenge, it's like, oh, there's probably another way around this or another way to get yeah. to where I'm being blocked there's off. There's like, there's so many, it, it's such a wormy little game. You can yeah. find your way into so many different places, so many different ways. And also I was going to say, it does get easier as time goes on, not just because you get better as a player, which is a huge part of it and is very rewarding, but also like the upgrades and like the spells and mm-hmm. and like stuff you learn does like Like in Metroidvania, you, you start pretty underpowered. You have a sword mm-hmm. and you can jump and that's it but by the end you're like double jumping you're like phasing through walls you're doing all kinds of stuff yeah so um, it, it's great it's a wonderful experience and yeah i think one of the best games ever made so go play yeah, it and and we are gonna get a sequel someday it's a oh, yeah. silk song silk yes. song is coming nick if you didn't know it's a sequel that's focusing on uh hornet who <gasps> oh my god yeah, yeah it is hornet is the main character of the game, of the game. Yeah. and also look at that lawrence is showing it right now I have some a figurines Made by, by our Grant. good friend Grant, friend of the pod. Grant's Tabletop Workshop. Go check that out if you want some beautiful 3D-made figurines. Anyways, speaking of plugs, we've come to the end of the episode. Nick, Bestie, thank you for joining us today. I'm thank so glad to finally have you me. on the pod. Thank you um, for having me. Is there anything you want to plug? Maybe an art Instagram or any projects or anything you're working on? Um, yeah, I'll plug my art Instagram because my big projects that I'm working on, like, aren't out yet, but anything that will be out will be posted there. Um, my art Instagram is just my name, nickadams.com. 
art. <laughs> so how am I going to remember that? Literally how? Mm-hmm. Such a hard name to spell too. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I'm going to be like releasing a comic on Webtoons soon. And that I will advertise there. Where, is it the one I'm reading? Yeah, yeah. It's yes, um, like a horror romance comic. It's going to be pretty gay. Yes, excited. Gay and scary. Gay yes. and scary, we love. Um, yeah, Your Nick. favorite feelings. Nick, you are truly so talented, such a hardworking artist. And also, I'll say it, an incredible actor, too, which is good mm-hmm. since you're getting your master's in it. <laughs> Thank I you. I truly, not to, not to toot your horn too much, but like... I do feel like we have a future famous person in our midst. Like, oh my god! Oh my gosh! Thank you so much, Lawrence. He didn't have to say that on what. Um, anyway, Nick. No, truly, I do. Like when I think of all my friends, I'm like, who is going to be a Hollywood movie uh, heartthrob one day? And it is you. Oh my god! <laughs> and I'm gonna be on radio for the rest of my life. Uh, thank you. <laughs> okay bye <laughs> no I mean that just made me feel really good because I'm like I truly am like questioning my entire life right now oh are we all <laughs> oh man uh, anyways uh, if you want to find us um, where we are on Twitter and Instagram at gayforplaypod uh, you can email us at gayforplaypodcast at gmail.com. Um, also, I'm going to start streaming this month. I have a little list of games that I kind of want to go through on my little PC. What do you, what do you want to start with? What do you want to um, do? We'll discuss. We'll discuss. Oh, um, we'll, oh okay. Okay. Oh, we'll post on our socials. Um, but I do have some. I want to play. Well, I guess I should say. Uh, I'm looking at Death's Door, the new Zelda-like indie game, um, Alba, A Wildlife Adventure, Pokemon Snap inspired maybe, game. Maybe maybe Chicory Colorful Tale. That was the other one I was going to say. Chicory Colorful Tale. I might be streaming that too. So um, keep an eye out. I'm, I'm going I'm to hit up twitch.tv slash pod. I think is the... Or, 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 or <laughs> if there's games that, listener, you want to see us stream, let us know. You can reach let out us to us at gayforplaypodcast at gmail.com. Tell us you what you think there. of the show. Tell us what you want to what you want to hear covered on the show. What you'd love to see us talk about on uh, Twitch. Yeah. Also, let us know thoughts you have about Zelda or any games that we've discussed or games you want us to discuss. Again, um, pers- this is not the Zelda, the last Zelda game we're going mm-hmm. to be talking about. This is only one more check mark on our long list of. of well, I uh, wonder. Games. Yeah. Now that we've screwed up our uh, decision to do the timeline in order, I wonder if we should just do reverse chronological order and then do Wind Waker next. Well, but we'll I, see. I was gonna say my gut says Wind Waker just because that's the next one Honestly, I'm the most the- familiar with. But I also I like the idea of going backwards. What but also like? I like I like the idea. I mean, like you, Nick. You are the second guest we've had for a Zelda episode, so I like the idea of just bringing on friends and guests to talk about a Zelda game specifically that they love. I know a couple other people who want to come on and talk about Zelda, so we'll have a little g- gay formative Zelda culture uh, uh, mm. moment. Yeah, here on and the and and we haven't even gotten to the tingle of it all. And Wind Waker is going to absolutely be a tingle centric episode. I can't Ooh, wait. Kululimpa on that. <laughs> <laughs> Period. Um, all right. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Afferman76 uh, if you want to follow me personally. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Eric of the Sun with underscores somewhere between those words. Cute. Um, and that's all. Um, Till next time. Love you. <gasps> Nick, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having mm-hmm. me.
Walk into the twilight. Ooh, get sucked in. Walk, walk up to that door. <gasps> Oop. <gasps> oh. A little hand grabbed me. It's one of those twilight monsters. Oh, you're a wolf now. Ooh, ooh. Oh, ooh. There's a <laughs> she-wolf <laughs> in the twilight. <laughs> Let him out so he <laughs> can breathe. Oh. Ooh. Talk to you Bye. next time, back. <laughs> Nick, the way he just stared at us for all of Just that. shaking his head. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Gay for Play. Our music is by Connor Marsh, and our show art is by Nick Adams. Ooh, thanks, Boothang. You can find links to our social media and Patreon in the description below. Until next time, I'll see you in the Twilight Realm. Ow.